directly with the correct amount. D20 Radio, your gamers roll. radiocom Roll for Initiative. Welcome back to the Roll for Initiative podcast. This is issue number 35. We're really getting up in episodes now, uh, Nick. What do you think? 35? Oh, my God. We're almost 40, like me. We're, we're going to be over the hill sooner than you think about it, folks. We're starting to get a little gray around the edges here and there, huh? That's right. <laughs> Don't forget, we'll have lots of podcasts to come. There's tons of stuff to talk about for AD&D First Edition. Yep. Tons of material out there, so we'll never be ending. This podcast will be at 135 before you know it. <laughs> Oh, boy. As we're moving upon our first year on the air, another couple of weeks, uh, Nick, and we'll be uh, celebrating our first year anniversary. That's crazy. I'll get the champagne. Woo! Yeah. It's crazy. It's nuts. Yeah, definitely, Christopher Walken. <laughs> Great impression. What year? It's nuts. <laughs> uh, also, uh, DM Jason will not be joining us this week as he actually is out of town and he was at a rally. Uh, you know the John Stewart and Stephen Colbert rally? Yes. He went to that. Oh dear God! He saw. He was telling me on the phone there was like tons of people there at the rally. So. Oh my God! Yeah. Oh, is that the? Was it the Sanity? Yeah. Stand Didn't up. we talk about Sanity last week with Cthulhu? Yeah, Stand Up for Sanity or something like that. Yeah, okay. So Cthulhu's going to be there, right? Yes. <laughs> hey, Cthulhu for president. Hey. Yeah, he he, uh, he spoke to me on the phone, and his phone was so, like, because there were so many people there. So he uh, regrets to say that he can't join us this week because he forgot his headset, too. So. Oh, well. <laughs> Poor Jason. Poopy. Oh, well. Uh, so what you want to do is you want to head over now to the RFI pod, uh, podcast.com forums. Yeah. All you have to do is you have to sign up once on our website, RFIPodcast.com, and you can join up on the forum fun. Lots of people are posting, talking about games they played in the past. People are trading stuff, trading ideas. Why don't you get involved? Join up right now and talk. Even Nick is there now. So Yeah, I've been there like a couple of times, I think. Yes, sure. <laughs> Whole bunch of times. Speaking about forums, uh, I just want to take a moment. D20radio.com is our network sponsor. Yeah. And uh, they're wonderful people. We also have forums on their website, and uh, I try to maintain them and chat with people on there. And so does Jason. Uh, we like you to go there every once in a while and check out the very uh, bunch of great podcasts. They have about 20-something there, podcasts on that network. Something for everyone. And we apologize. Last week we spoke to... I don't know, a whole half hour, 45 minutes about H.P. Lovecraft and Cthulhuism and the mythos. And we Cthulhuism? Forget- yes. <laughs> Cthulhuism. Oh it's a Sign new word. Me up. <laughs> and we forgot to talk about the H.P. Lovecraft literary podcast literary they have podcast, on there. Yeah. If you go to yeah. hppodcraft.com, there is a whole... Uh, 40, no, let me see here, 38 episodes of this podcast, no, I'm sorry, 58 episodes of this podcast, my bad. Oh my gosh, yeah. Uh, And basically what they do is they take a Lovecraftian story or something from the Circle of Friends, as they call it, Nick, right? Yeah, from the Lovecraft Circle, and what they do is they'll, I guess they do uh, 
not only a reading of the story, but they'll do analysis of the story and its significance and to the whole, if it plays into the whole Cthulhu mythos and so just some really cool stuff. And they, and they get some people to read and they have creepy music yeah. and yeah, they, they follow the whole theme of the Lovecraftian theme. If you really love Lovecraft and Cthulhu and you want to be part of the insanity, definitely go check out hppodcraft.com and uh, check them out and give them a, yeah, there's a donate button on the site. Why don't you throw them a few bucks to help, you know, for the server costs mm-hmm. and uh, check them out on iTunes. Give them a little five star review and uh, shout out to them. Yeah, that I when they brought that up, I I had to run over to that <laughs> cybernetically run over to the website, and I was I'm really impressed. They got some really cool stuff there. I'm gonna when I get some more time, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna start listening. They got some great stuff. Perfect, and uh, it looks like they also won a Parsec Award in 2010. They were finalists. I'm not sure exactly what that is, Nick. Do you know? Um. Not really, no. Yeah. Parsec Awards are actually uh, awards just given for sci-fi and fantasy original content. Oh, oh I see. okay, Matt. Oh, thanks, Matt. We Matt, you're welcome. Cool. Yes, and as always, Matt is here in the background, quiet as ever, but today he's going to uh, chat with us a little bit to, uh, you know, give his take on things to sit in with us this week. So, yeah, And his Google Foo was like, Cannot be compared. So yes. he's <laughs> yes. Mr. Google Kung Fu. Yes, the joys of being a library page. You learn how to find things quickly. Yes. Aha. All right. So uh, stars, Nick. What do we got for stars this week? Anything good? Uh, we got a mixed bag this week. Well, uh, it happens, to say the least. Uh, let's see. We got three uh, things on iTunes for pimping for stars. Uh, we got one from. Uh, Rob Rot Punk Rod. It's a four-star review. Oh. And this is a very... He says this is... He says getting better. Better. It says this is a very entertaining podcast, whether you play first edition D&D or not. While first edition is definitely the focus of the podcast, the host covers... The hosts cover several broader gaming topics and do address some features and functions of other editions from time to time. My biggest gripe is that with having several hosts in several locations, they do tend to talk over each other from time to time, which gets annoying. Oh, and Vincent needs to come to terms with the fact that he is not funny, that he should stop trying to cra- uh, crack wise, as this also gets annoying. Okay. Seriously, it says that? Yeah. Oh, then I'll have to keep up the wisecracks to uh, make sure this person is well informed of my wisecracking. Crack wise, crack wise. (laughs) And I'm sure Jason fully appreciates that review because it was only four stars and not the usual five. Uh, Yes, I'm sure he would definitely put double thumbs up for someone being honest and telling me like it is. Yes. Uh, Okay. (laughs) God, thank you for well, your review and your honesty. I will make sure to curb my crackiness. That don't expect too much curbing. No, don't, not at all. <laughs> but we we try. Yeah. Uh, okay. Next review. I got to go to the next page. Ah, um, from mm-hmm. I guess Hannah O two O five. 
Okay. And she gave us five stars. All right. I like this chick. Podcast. Yes. <laughs> she said, great gaming podcast, even if you play other systems. Uh, Roll for Initiative talks about first edition D&D. It's actually first edition AD&D, folks. What you but, put? First edition D&D? Yes. Oh, well, some people do that. <laughs> yeah, I know. But a lot of things they discuss appeal to any tabletop RPG. The Halloween episode, for example, had ways to set a spooky atmosphere, and the vampire talk gave ideas that would work in any RPG. The show runs pretty long, often over two hours, but they are chaptered so you can skip ahead to segments to the segments you want. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. Um, and that's one of the things I think we like we're doing about the show is we put in the segment things and uh, people enjoy that because they can, you know, if we have a longer show like last one, which was about two hours about, and, you know, they can, you know, if they miss a part or, you know, you know, they're out doing whatever, they can, you know, hey, oh, I was on this chapter. So, you know, I, I know it gives a little more flexibility. I know there is a minority of people out there that hate the long shows, but a majority of our audience, I mean, and I'm talking an overwhelming majority of our audience likes long podcasts Mm -hmm. because a lot of people listen to it at work while they're doing stuff on their jogs, whatever, or on a long trip. Yeah. And they liked it. I've, I've seen many times people say, you know, we'll have one person say, no, the long shows are annoying. You'll have 12 people say, shut up to that person. Right. (laughs) Well, we have to go with the we have to go with we we feel that it works with the majority of people like so. Um, I don't think this is a complaint, but I think this is just like a, a observation to say you know these these shows all, can be kind of long, and and that's okay because I remember other podcasts I listened to like the I the guys I. I talked about last time from uh, yogsatoff.com. They do the... Uh, like six hours, oh, that podcast? I mean, that yeah. show <laughs> is generally like two to three hours that they record, but they only do it like once a month, if that. Yeah. So it's it's a real treat when it comes on because you have that amount of, of listening at, Dude, at your leisure. When it comes to the length of the podcast, the way I look at it is there's long and boring or is it long and entertaining? And yeah, right. since we have it split up in segments, really, as long as an individual segment doesn't outlive its usefulness, this, I think the show works well and it makes an entertaining show. Absolutely. As opposed to just, okay, we have a two-hour mark to hit, so therefore we just need no. to fill to fill the, however much time we decide to go. Yeah. I, I, you I guys know. look at it this way, to kind yeah. of put it in perspective. You know, we only do this maybe once a week or every other week. Mm-hmm. Imagine these guys who do talk shows like, you know, Howard Stern or, you know, Rush Limbaugh, whoever. They do this every day, yeah. Monday through Friday, yeah. for yeah, three I hours. I know, I know. Can you imagine? I could do that. I could do that, Nick. I could do it. Oh, you could, huh? Oh, yes, I could. <laughs> pay me, though. Yeah, right? We'll, when, we'll pay when, you in... When um... money... When greenbacks cross my palm... Then you know what? I could do that. We'll pay you in uh, Dragon Lance money and steel. How about that? Yes. Oh, so it's imaginary. Yes, imaginary. <laughs> yes. But as in you Electrum. guys, as you guys pay know, pay me an Electrum. That's it. Electrum, yeah. <laughs> pay me an Electrum. Piece. Here you go, Nick. Here's your two it's Electrum pieces. <laughs> I'll take Electrum. As long as it's not copper. Yeah. Um, as you guys know, I, I usually write up the show notes, and we just go with it. We don't we don't set down times. If the show's an hour, the show's an hour. If the show's an hour and a half, it's an hour and a half. I mean, Matt sits down, he takes the times after I give it to him, and he edits all, like, you know, the large spaces or 
something that sounds wrong, he'll take out and edit it down. So, you know, everybody has a purpose. Okay, so we have any more reviews or we're done with that? I think we're good on that. Yeah, nothing else in our in our iTunes section. Do we have any other news, Vince? Yes, um, actually. If you go to RFIPodcast.com, we did have a new article up. Oh, uh, oh yes, that's right. Uh, by Buzz, I believe it is, right? Yes. Another, yeah, we have uh, Oh, yeah, that's right. For Halloween, another creepy doll, it's called, by PC Buzz. Yeah. And then it looks like it's his home creation for uh, a nice Halloween-y monster type deal. Yeah. If you want to go yeah. on there and check it out, it looks pretty cool. And we've had a lot of good feedback on our Halloween issue. Yes. I've had at least, uh, and from several forums, I saw Dragon's Foot. They go, by the way, I like Nick's uh, Dracula or Vampire impersonation. Well, thank you very much. What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was, I remember that was in the forums. Crispy said that, yeah. Yes. Spooky. Oh. Spooky. Spooky yes. Um, yeah. And, oh, also, uh, RFIActualPlay.tk, Jason's podcast is up, his actual play. Oh, Matt cool. finally put those up. Yep. And then we actually have several more uh, sessions that are ready to go up. I'm just trying not to kill the RSS feed all at once. So <laughs> over the next week, expect a couple more sessions. Cool. Uh, I remember uh, Jason did to say to apologize and bear with him on the first couple with the Echo uh, there was nothing he can do about it, so I think that cleared up later on, Matt. Yeah, it, it was. Were... There was just one session that that was an issue, but it was resolved in the later ones. Okay. Were they painting caves like in the in the mazes of monsters show? No. If only. <laughs> Beware the sacrilege. Yes. <laughs> you can uh, go there and join in on the fun. Listen in. Uh, you can go to uh, epicwords.com slash book of sorrows is where my campaign notes are. And you can follow around my players have written journals over the adventure, so you can just read what was happening in case you don't have time to listen to the full two hours that we've been putting up, mostly. <laughs> but we did have an episode recently with, oh my gosh, I don't know if you guys had a chance to listen to it, but it was like Keystone Cops, Benny Hill music. Oh, our, our dwarven axe. Yeah, nice. Our dwarven character got his axe stuck in the ceiling, and he really wanted the axe, so... They found they found these bracelets that make you increase in size, and uh-huh. there was also a ring that shrinks you. So what happened was they uh, they gave the ring to the dwarf that shrunk him down to a foot and a half. So Cute. the war the fighter in our cl- on our party picked up the dwarf and threw him in the air to the axe like they tossed him. First he rolled a one, so the dude went crashing down on his head. <laughs> And then he, and then after losing hit points from the the fall, he decided he wanted to do it again. So he rolled, and then he missed, falling again. And then, he, and then he finally got a hold of the axe, and then he straddled the axe, pulled the ring off, so it pulled it off the ceiling. He fell. Two players ran to co capture him, like go underneath him. And I was like, Are you guys sure you want to do that? So he wound up killing himself because of the axe he was straddling. One, you know, pretty much made it bigger than it was before. <laughs> and uh the one of the other players who was trying to capture him uh <laughs> got cut by the axe so I had two players on a negative 4 at that point. Oh no. Yeah, so the player the, and and one of the and the fighter that tried to help almost got passed out too. So he almost did a total party kill while just rescuing an axe. So 
I love wow. it. Those those are magic moments for a DM. <laughs> and it was funny. When the players take it upon themselves to kill themselves. Yes, and you just acting appropriately stupid. Yes. And it was funny because, like, the cleric and the party is just like, hey, uh, before we do that and we cue the Keystone Cops music, can we think of a different way to do it? <laughs> yeah. And the, and the thief in the party is just like, how about we just take a rope and tie it to the bolt and shoot it up there and pull it down? They're like, no, this idea is much better. So yeah. <laughs> they did. Yeah, we could, this idea is more much better. We could do more damage that way. I was right. just like, whatever, guys. You know, you're the players. Yeah. So uh, definitely oh, check those like out that. and uh, tell us what you have to think about those. Give us a five-star review on iTunes and uh, check it out. I think that's it. We don't have any more news, do we? Not that I can think no, of, no. Not that I know of. All right, then we'll head into Sage Advice. Sage Advice. We can sing this week, Sage Advice. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> sage Advice. Hayes. Okay, uh, so Sage Advice. We have, uh, actually, let's do the voicemail first, because we like to definitely. Oh, yeah. Oh, and we do have a new voicemail hotline, the RFI <laughs> Hotline, as we're going to call it. Hotline? Yes, hotline. Just like that. It is okay. area code 570-865-4210. What was and that number again? 570-865-4210. It is nice and long. You can go in there and you can chat to your little heart's content. There's no restrictions. And we encourage everybody to pick up the phone. Give us even give us a review if you want to sit there and take a module and review it. It'll record it for you, and we'll play it because you know we encourage those things. Yes, we do, and we'll torture yeah, we Matt do. with editing it. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> we love the uh, listener feedback, and also when they contribute to the show because it, it's the community really adds a lot to yeah. what we do. That's right. Cobalt operators are standing by twenty four seven. Void were prohibited. Offer not available in this great free city of Greyhawk. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so this new uh, voicemail just came in. So let me play that for you guys. Go. Hi guys, this is DM Keith from Oakland, California. Um, you guys have a great show. I listen to every episode so far or issue. I stumbled upon it right about the same time. I restarted my original campaign after taking a 20-year break. Wow. Uh, right now, my group of players is going through the T-series, the Village of Hamlet, and the uh, Temple of Elemental Evil. Cool. And the cleric in our party has turned a couple of groups of undead, some skeletons and some zombies. And after doing that a couple of times, I realized I wasn't quite exactly sure how to play the turning. Um, do the undead move away at a certain rate? Do they hide? What if they're cornered? Do they fight back? Does the cleric have to keep his holy symbol out? So on and so forth. And I was just wondering how you guys handled it in your campaigns. Keep up the good work. Thanks a lot. Bye. All right, cool. Well, to answer his question, they do the hokey pokey, because that's what it's all about. <laughs> no. <laughs> Sorry. Okay, Nick, disconnecting you from the podcast this week. It'll be a Matt and Vince <laughs> podcast. Oh, come on. All right. <laughs> Now, uh, I don't know, Nick, go first. What, what would your uh, answer to this be? Well, from what I remember, as uh, far as turning undead, they generally uh, move away from the uh, from the cleric who's brandishing his holy symbol. When he makes a successful roll, they move away at maximum rate. And I believe uh, 
as long as he's brandishing a symbol and made a successful roll, they will keep away. Uh, I think it's like a 30-foot radius at least. Mm-hmm. And, but if they're cornered, how I usually played it is like if it's a relatively cramped room or if they get you know pushed into a corner per se, um, I usually play that the that the undead will try to at least move out of the area and maybe attack defensively, you know, almost like a cornered animal, if you will. That's how I kind of play it. So yeah, that, I was going to say the same thing. I, I usually play it uh, how much like you see it in movies. Yeah, uh, they have to hold the holy symbol up and continue holding it up for them to chase them away. Otherwise, they will come back. And if they do back them into a corner, I would think that the monsters in fleeing from the instant, you know, power of the holy symbol, they would try to not really attack the cleric, but push their way to get away from the cleric. Yeah, they would probably burrow against the wall as much as they could. Try to climb it. If they couldn't, then they, they would have to race past the cleric, knocking him over, hoping yeah. that they can get away. Yeah. yeah. Matt, what about you? The way I'd say it, they would basically just flee. And if they're in a corner and the cleric is outside that 30-foot radius, they would just be content staying there, trying to make their way through the wall. And yeah. the only time they would actually try to attack is if someone were to move adjacent and it would be that defensive fighting. Hmm. So... What, so. I would just see them like you can pretty much just corner them in in a room and just hold them at bay like forever if you really wanted to is the way I'd play it. I can't see them trying to rush past the cleric. No, you don't think so? No, I, I would see them trying to stay as as far away as possible. Now, if the cleric was adjacent, I could see them maybe trying to get around him at that point. But if he was mm. keeping them at bay with it, I don't see them advancing towards him to get behind him. So, yeah, and actually, that's similar to how the uh, old SSI AD&D games work. When the cleric oh. would turn, they would just run back away from the cleric. And then if they were in a corner, they would just stay in that corner. <laughs> so at which point it was kind of easy to pick them off from range. But Yeah, yeah. I could just a bunch of ghouls in the corner. It's like, okay, we'll just stand here. Yeah, I would, I, I, I would just do it. Like they would probably try to get away from the cleric, whatever way they could. So, yeah. So I guess it all depends on how you want to DM your campaign, how you want to do it. Uh, I think that also brings up another issue of how about would you have like your big bad in there? Say your big bad's a vampire in your game, and you try to turn a vampire like normal, but you do turn them. Would you give? The vampire, like, the, the ability to try to resist even more and then maybe knock the symbol out of his hand type thing? or Ooh. Um, I think what I would do is I would... I think the, the vampire would turn to gaseous form and escape that way. Yeah. That's how I would play it. Yeah. At that point, I would see the vampire trying to flee any way possible and gaseous form would be the easiest way for them to escape pretty much anything. That's sort of yeah. the ultimate escape route, I will live another day thing for the vampires. Right, yeah. that's because that goes back to our whole conversation of vampires for our Halloween episode when the different mythologies of vampires, because the traditional vampire, like you said, would probably go gaseous and go blah blah and get away. Well, Nick, you did. Blah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey! <laughs> and uh, the Brom Stroker, which is the traditional, would probably do that. Uh, I would think maybe the World of Darkness vampire guy would probably try to just run. Uh, but I know the Whedonverse uh, vampires do have the ability to actually, if they are powerful enough, knock the cross or actually touch the cross to get rid of it. 
Mm. They would not saying they wouldn't take damage, but they can right. still, you know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The symbol's painful to them, but at the same time, they can still approach it and interact with it. But yeah. it really weakens them. Yeah, it does. But it, they could still try to get rid of it somehow by right. knocking it out of the hand or something or other. Mm. I don't know. All right, so let's head over to our our emails this week. Uh, looks like Todd Hughes wrote back regarding the question that we had about the bag of candy. Was that I forget the full name of it? The Misra candy bag. Of, anyway. Uh, he said that we had asked the question if anybody could take one per day. Remember how we were contemplating that? He actually yeah. said it's one piece of candy who you taken per day, as in he just meant one regardless of how many people reach in it. It's yeah, that's a, how I kind of read it, too. Yeah, but it was yeah. All, it's still that question. Players are still going to ask, well, can't I try taking one out? Yeah. So he wants can, us to, to clarify the saying it's just once per day bag yeah. item. That's it. Whoever, no matter who holds it. That makes sense. Yeah. All right. So uh, next letter. Nick, you want to grab that letter? Yeah, sure. We got one from uh, Marcel Bennett. Hey. It uh, says, hi, DMs, Vince, Jason, and Nick. Uh, and Matt. <laughs> yeah. uh, and I'll say, I'll put you in there, Matt. Uh, I'm writing to you from Lismore, uh, Lismore in Australia. Hey. I've been, hey. Good day. That's our friend. I've been listening to the show for the last month or so. Great stuff. I started playing AD&D in the early to mid-80s. I was bitterly disappointed when 2E came out. I didn't buy anything. I like this game. Played, played in one 2E campaign with a friend of a friend, but never really got into it. So I've only ever played for, uh, 1E, really, but basically stopped as I moved away from my old gaming friends in mid-90s. Haven't yet met a new group of 1Ers. However, started playing with my kids a few years ago. Oh, they've right. gotten old enough. As they've gotten old enough, most, most of them are into it. It has proven an excellent campaign act, uh, camping activity for me too, Nick. So cool. <laughs> hey. Cool. I've also just been awakened to the whole world of old school clones. Yes. Wow. It was really cool to see all the new stuff being generated. Your show has really struck a chord with me. I'm buzzing with new energy for the game. Just need to find a group. So if you ever need more Skype players, let me know. Oh, we okay. will. We will. Don't worry. <laughs> I'm working on my way through the RFI episodes, up to 23 today. Um, I was going to post on the comments, but wasn't sure if it would go anywhere. Just a couple of points about episode 23, besides the fact that it was cool, even though I like the longer play sessions. After, as far as I understand, uh, Player's Handbook, page 68, sleep only affects up to 4d4 hit dice or creatures. And even that, yeah, this is about the Lucrata yeah, yeah. thing. Yeah, okay. Uh, that was, yeah, my bad on that one. I'm sorry. <laughs> so sorry. <laughs> Ability checks. I've been playing since the early mid-80s, and I've always known of them. Only use them when I need to roll and uh, nothing else covers. Okay. And um, also, as noted above, when proficiencies were introduced, to use ability checks. Anyway, probably enough for one email. Keep up the great work with the show. Should be just about due for episode 34. I'll have to register with iTunes so I can leave you five-star feedback. Well, thank you very much, Marshall. And uh, you know what? I'm sure they'll keep you appraised if there's, um, you know, they need someone on the, uh, you know, for the campaigns on Skype. And I, I'm sure there's other forums too. 
Yeah, you, you can, can go right to our forums and just uh, advertise there. I know there was a guy trying to get a Marvel uh, role-playing game, uh, Skype game yeah. going. Um, also, check uh, dragonsfoot.org. I know they got a looking for player section. Mm-hmm. And um, pen and paper. So there's ND20 radio. radio, I think, yeah. has it too. Yeah. So there's multiple spots you can look for. And chances are you're going to find somebody uh, down under that you that wants to play first edition AD&D. So, you know, it just got to do a little bit of uh, electronic footwork, if you will. I think so. Australia marks are uh, furthest away listener, right? Probably. Yeah. Italy was the winning one so far, but now I think this trumps Italy. I think Australia is probably further away, yeah. Southern Hemisphere yeah. and all. <laughs> so he trumps and wins as our furthest away listener for now. Until someone can get a in. no prize. <laughs> yes, we'll send him a no prize from Marvel. Yeah, wow. Yeah, there you go. I keep forgetting about the no prize. <laughs> we'll send you one thousand virtual electrum pieces. Blah. <laughs> Courtesy of RFI. All right, cool. So that'll uh, write us in email RFI staff at gmail dot com and, and send us in your letter. Yep. And uh, we'll read it on the air. And uh, if you have any questions or comments, go right to our forums RFI Podcast dot com. We have our forums. Sign up there. Or go to d20radio.com, and we have forums in there. We have a whole AD&D first edition section. You can post in there, too. Let us know. Or dragonsfoot.org. We have forums there. We are all over the place. We're just everywhere. Yeah, we're all over the map. <laughs> we're spread out like the uh, Roman Empire. We're everywhere. And uh, let's go into table manners. Typical. Of all the evil creatures in the world, I'd like to find one with table manners. And what are you kidding me? I spent years cultivating the worst table manners on the planet. Table manners. All right. Uh, table manners this week. I guess we've gotten a lot of uh, requests for this on the forums. Uh, I guess several other players, uh, places, too, is um, uh, the illusionist. Specifically, you know, how to play the illusionist. And, you know, if there's any problems, uh, how to make the class playable, which I didn't know that there, it wasn't. Uh, but And maybe... NPC versus NPC, you know, ver- you know, versus that. How, which is more fun? So, and we'll explore a little bit of the spell. So let's kind of let's delve into this guy here, the illusionist. So, well, I think what they meant by playable is I think a lot of people have a hard time playing the magic user class to begin with, mm-hmm. and then to add the whole illusionist on top of it, I think it even makes it more difficult to play as a player. So I think maybe that's one of the reasons why people are asking right. for a. Uh, with the illusionist, it's you have to have a certain type of mindset to play that type of character because you're not that straight, easy, okay, I'm just going to cast magic missile, cast fireball. You have to be more right. creative in your thinking to use oh, your yeah. abilities. And I think that's what throws a lot of players off at first because it's not a straightforward character class to play. Mm-hmm. And it's very restricted as in you can only be a human or just a gnome. Right. And, the gnome, and then it all, yeah. also has a dex requirement as well. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. the requirements are. Well, I think you have to have a fifteen or a sixteen dex. Yes, be an 15. illusionist. Fifteen, yeah. and you have to have a minimum intelligence of fifteen. And guess what? No bonus experience points for having exceptional high scores. And so, if, if you play a gnome and your intelligence is under seventeen, you can only go to fifth level. Yeah. So and I think, and if I remember correctly, you can 
multi-class as a gnome, be an illusionist thief. Mm-hmm. But then again, man, you're talking, you have to have probably 17s and 18s for your intelligence and decks. But that would be an awesome player to care to play. <laughs> I would. I always think of an illusionist as a perfect role playing type class. Yeah, because you can't just like Matt said. You can't just go into straightforward. You have to actually think and actually role play out this class. You can't just say I cast my spell and this is what happens. Yeah, yeah. You know, what Matt said there is perfectly spot on. Is you have it's creative magic casting. It isn't just I cast a fireball. It's like you're casting, I don't know, that, well, their first level spell, color spray, da 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 da. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so. Or let, let's, and, let's talk about one of their infamous spells, the Phantasmal Force. Or mm, the, actually, yes. the improved Phantasmal Force, because it's a little bit different than the regular Phantasmal Force. So, And Nick, you were pointing that out to me earlier to Arnon before the show. Yeah. Um, the interesting fact well, that they get spells a little bit low, uh, a little bit quicker than magic users do, and they are a little more powerful as well. Yeah, a little more powerful. As I was perusing through their spell list, and I'm just going by what's in the player's handbook, I'd even delve into what there might be new spells for illusionists and unearth arcana. But looking at the spell list, there's a couple of things that kind of leapt to mind to me. Uh, one is as you mentioned, is the uh, when they acquire spells that are equivalent to the magic user class, it seems like that the spells that they get, like uh, Detect Invisibility, yeah. um, for level, example, huh? it's a first-level spell for an illusionist, but that's a second-level spell for a magic user. Mm-hmm. Just to, just to give you an example. So some they will gain the equivalent spell at least one level lower than a magic user. Uh, I think sometimes two. So depending so, on the spell, yeah. Right. And they, or yeah. Or if they have that spell, there's a certain twist to it compared to the um to the magic user one. I'm trying to see a instance of that. I thought I saw it. It might be that durations might be different. They might be a little bit longer right. in some in some <laughs> respects. So, so let's take a little time to focus on the uh, Phantasmal Force, since that's one of the big ones for an illusionist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is pretty much, this spell is kind of an open-ended spell for an illusionist as far as what they can do with it. Yeah. This takes a lot of creativity to use this spell. You'd have to actually sit down and think about using this spell before just using this spell. So, I mean, like we had ideas like in the last podcast about using this spell, but uh, Jason, I think, spoke about a pit that wasn't there, but really was there. Mm-hmm. Or wasn't there, but re- he made it look like it was there. Mm-hmm. And that's how this kind of spell type of thing works. You can make people believe things that aren't really there, there. Right. And it also depends on uh, how long you do it for, what the description is, there's certain spells, I mean, sounds and smells that go along with the spell, especially in the improved one. Uh, you know which one I like? Hallucinary Terrain is another good one for. Yeah. It's, oh, um, another thing, just just from um, yeah, just on that Phantasmal Force. Mm-hmm. That's a normally a third level magic user spell. Illusionist gets it right at first level. Right. Though it's not nearly as strong. Right. But uh, they get it sooner. Yeah, and then at second level they get the improved, improved. Phantasmal right. Force. Right. When with the approved one, you can actually add minor 
uh, sounds to the illusion. So, like, if you want to make that red dragon, that ancient red dragon that's sitting on top of the, the horde of, of gold and stuff, you can actually make the dragon sound like it's growling at the players or something like that. So, yeah. <laughs> and it was the other one that, Nick, you were pointing out before, too, that's an awesome show, the Phantasmal Killer. Oh, yes. Phantasmal Killer. Oh, my gosh. Uh, <laughs> Fourth level spell. I've actually had... Uh, I've dealt with this spell on both ends, as a DM and as a player. I've, uh, As the DM, I actually had an experience where a player used Phantasmal Killer and killed two uh, adult white dragons with Phantasmal Killer spell because wow. they failed their save and also they missed their magic resistance. Nice. It was just bad rolls. And it's we're totally talking about a fourth level spell here. But um, Phantasmal Killer is awesome because it creates in the mind of whatever creature or person whatever it most fears. And it attacks as a before-hit dice creature, and if I guess if it hits, the the creature dies. <laughs> well, yeah, it's all what you believe, so you believe it hits you, so... Yeah, and there's various other modifiers and stuff to that, too, but yeah, it's very powerful spell at, I mean, uh, you know, fourth level as far as spell level's concerned, so I believe an illusionist can start acquiring this particular spell right yeah you know, well actually right at eighth so but so still, that's lower still fine up, i mean <laughs> lower on high level and then you can go on to controlling shadow monsters demi shadow yeah. monsters creating shadow magic which is another little fun thing to play with yeah and then they have alter reality oh which yeah is- that could be a <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very similar to a wish spell. Or I mean, limited wish, excuse me, spell, yeah. but still quite powerful if you play it right. Yeah. So it's not like and illusionists are wimps. I mean, they may look like on the outside a wimp, but they're bad guys. <laughs> yeah, they're 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 pretty cool because in their spell repertoire is pretty impressive. It's just that you have to like. Like Matt was saying there, you, you, like you were saying, it, you got to be creative what you're going to do with it. And in that case, since you have to be creative with the spells, because you have to actually say what the spell is going to be and what it's going to be doing, a DM can be a li- I guess could be a quite, is going to be the judge on how well this spell is going to work, I, I suppose, at, at times. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, I'd say so. You, I could easily see you twisting this like a limited wish spell. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. If you describe something not quite right, all of a sudden, hey, maybe you give them a bonus to their saving throw against it because you describe something that really couldn't be possible or something that would give them more reason to disbelieve. Yeah. So. Yeah. We've, we've gone over some spells trying to make this class better, but this another thing we want to talk about is making this class playable. A lot of people, you know, talked about how to make this class playable as in what better ways to make this class function in a party. People have problems playing magic users to begin with. Yeah. I notice that people don't cast spells because they don't know what to do or they cast a spell and then they sit there and go, uh, yeah, uh, I stand there. <laughs> right. And yeah. it, it is a playable class, but it's all about the flair, the... It's the whole role-playing aspect, like you were saying, Vince. This is a 
really a role player's uh, type character class to play. This isn't something where, like from the core four, that you can more or less get away with playing as someone who's uh, a novice at role-playing games. No, this is not a novice beginner class to play at all. No, this this is a class where you've probably been playing for a little while. And you want to have a bit of a challenge, and you want to kind of, uh, I don't know, sp- you know, spread your wings a little bit more and see what you can do as a player. And um, Stock up on darts. Stock up on rocks. Anything else. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You just don't have to cast a spell and stand back and hope you hit with the staff. I mean, you have a high dexterity, pick up the darts. So what if they're only one point of damage? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. you're still three, hey. doing damage, and yeah. if and if you have a say an undead that's being running away from you, hey, start throwing those darts to the back. Yeah, you know, yeah. I also thinking of the illusionist character as a class where he's when he's in a party of uh, of a and he's trying to help out. I kind of see his role as being a guy who's a distractor. Yeah, he's a guy when yeah. if it comes to like when it comes to melee type situations, I picture him as he or she as the person who's trying to distract or, you know, put, you know, if not just distract, but causing all sorts of visual and, and maybe verbal, uh, you know, Try, you know, trying to confuse maybe the opponents. Yeah, um, stuff like that. They they want to. They're the. I think they're a good class. If you need to make an escape, they have some pretty good spells in their repertoire. If you have to make an escape from a really hairy situation. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I kind of see them as the distractor. They're like, you know, look over there, something shiny. <laughs> and all the orcs look, and then you run away. <laughs> so, right. Yeah, this is the class that creates openings for the other classes to do something. Yes. Yeah, either to, to get away or, like you said, you know, openings to uh, for other, you know, characters, other players to do other stuff. Right. So, yeah, I, I think, and they, I think they would fulfill that role very well. So I think that's very useful, especially when you get into a very tight situation where it looks like you might not be able to get out of, you might not be able to fight your way out of. An illusionist, I think, could create a situation to where you can make an escape. So who would have more fun playing this class? A DM or a player? What's your uh, vote? Like as an NPC? I don't know. I think it'd be fun to play him as an NPC. Yeah, I'm going to have to go oh, with yeah, that, too. Oh, yeah, totally messing with the Definitely. players' heads. Because you oh have, because don't forget, you're designing your adventure, and you're sitting there writing stuff down, and you can write down tons of ideas of what you can do with certain spells. Oh, yeah. Well, a PC only has a matter of maybe a couple seconds, maybe a couple minutes, depending on what's going on. Yeah. And you as a DM have days upon days to sit there and go, <laughs> Yeah, especially if you have a high enough illusionist that's the uh, yeah. the NPC. I mean, <laughs> you know, the demi-shadow creatures, phantasmal killer. I mean, come on. I mean, <laughs> illusionists can be pretty nasty if you're on the receiving end. Definitely. Definitely. But as a player, like I said, I think it'd be fun too. But two things you got to keep in mind. One, 
it's not for the inexperienced. No. And two, he's the he's the distractor guy. He's going to make the escape or allow for other characters to uh, do their thing. So, yeah, or throw your DM completely off kilter with the wacky things you're actually creating. <laughs> oh my gosh! You know when 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 the guy who was playing the illusionist in my in my uh, campaign. And it was against the Giants Marrows, the, and they were going up against the Frost Giants, those two white dragons. And he's, I'm like, okay, so what would scare a white dragon? You know? Yeah, right. What does a white I dragon mean, fear? Um, what does a white dragon fear? Black a dragon. red dragon? You know, maybe a black dragon? You know? It's what, mommy? I mean, I, yeah. <laughs> what did he do, Nick? I, I actually, I thought of as... I thought a red dragon, an ancient red dragon, would scare the 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 living daylights out of a white dragon. Hmm. I guess so, that, would, that would probably work. Yeah. I mean, if you're, how how old was the white dragon? Like, was it a baby or was it a? Uh, they were like uh, two young adults. They were a mated pair. Oh, then yeah, I think a, an ancient red dragon would be like to them. So yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I thought ancient red dragon would work. See so here, that or Tiamat shows up. Yeah. <laughs> Yikes! And but course, then again, it's only in the eye of the of the beholder here, and that will, as you will, yeah. only no one else sees what's going on. Just the one creature is just kind of freaking out. So, yeah, of course, the the white dragons would be fearing Tiamat, unlike the kids in the Dra- Dungeons and Dragons cartoons, which is like, oh, Tiamat, pff, let's get rid of yeah. him. Tiamat. Hey, yeah, let's yeah. go clobber we'll it. Hang out with him. Yeah, really. <laughs> yeah, let's run and clobber the thing, and then run away, and then clobber it again. And then... I yeah. wanted the clobber dungeon master, but that's just <laughs> anyway. Uh, so I think illusionist is pretty much summed up there. If you're a new player, don't really don't get into it. If you're an experienced player, kind of bored with what's going on, dive into it. It's kind of fun to play. Yeah, at least I think so. I mean, I had a lot of fun playing it when I played it a couple times. I was able to actually play. Usually I'm stuck DMing, so... Oh, Too bad. (laughs) I was kind of mean. I'm kind of upset about that. Nick? What? I don't know. Uh, (laughs) Tell us how you play an illusionist. Give us some tips, some hints, some house rules. Maybe your DM gave you some house rules for uh, an illusionist. Maybe you get extra hit points, extra spells. I don't know. Tell us. RFIstaff at gmail.com. And we'll head into the Dragon's Horde. The Dragon's Horde. So the Dragon's Horde this week, we got a. Uh, I pulled a item out of uh, the Advanced Dungeons and Dragons cartoon uh, comic book that we reviewed a while back. Oh, really? The one that Jason said owed him his money back. (laughs) (laughs) And he didn't pay anything for it? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, But I would just show you that it is somewhat useful. There is an item in the back called the Lockstone that they actually summed up for you. The Lockstone is a magical device which Hmm. usually appears in a uh, crystalline or magical orb or maybe even an egg shape. It is believed to be native to several of the outer planes. Lockstones are time devices set to release one or multiple spells if particular conditions are met. Lockstones can have up to two preconditions and store up to three spells. After the spells cast, the stone becomes dormant for at least a year, after, it, after which it will function if these conditions are met again. 
Lockstone's programming can only be changed by a magic user of at least 16th level. Lockstones are rare and are usually used to entrap extra dimensional creatures and protect valuable treasures. So it's an interesting item for a higher level campaign. Yeah. And uh, I think it was kind of interesting. So I pulled it out of the back of the magazine to show that the magazine isn't completely worthless. (laughs) And I just wanted to hear your thoughts on what you thought about it, Nick. Well, I'm just trying to think of how I would use this in a campaign. Obviously, I'm just trying to think of, you know, the the pre... What kind of spells would you put in this thing and the preconditions to... To I guess to unlock the spells, mm. I'm trying to think of, you know, what would you store in this thing? Well, you know, would you store like I don't know, monster summoning spells in it, or uh, I could see you guarding. Say you have it sitting on like a pedestal. You walk into a room. There's this pedestal. It has this shiny metallic orb. Players think, "Ooh, treasure!" They go to grab it. Boom! Fireball. Yeah. Oh, I get it. So it's kind of almost like a trap kind of thing. Right. I get it. Ooh, I like it already then. Yeah, or, or, <laughs> or you put it down and you, you throw it at an extra dimensional creature if you can get to one, first of all. Yeah. And maybe it absorbs the creature inside the uh, – entraps it inside of it somehow. Like kind of like a – A, a, a Pokeball. I was going to say the same thing. A Pokeball. Okay. Yes. And it's kind of lame, but you know, that's the only thing I could think of too. Yeah. An extra-dimensional Pokeball. Yeah. Sweet. Oh, I could see. Now I could see the possibilities. You, you store up a couple, you know, a couple, three spells in this thing. And like, you put this thing, like, I don't know, hanging from a chain in the center of a room. And they go to a certain point that's, like, the first precondition. If they go to the second point, it, you know, shoots off, like, I don't know, two lightning bolts and a fireball spell at them. You know, something right. like that. Or how about this? You um, you make it into a crystallized gem or whatever. You hand, uh-huh. you hand it over as a present to an enemy king. He displays it proudly as this giant crystal in his throne room. And then you say you set off a timer or something or some kind of condition like 24 hours later. And when he's having dinner in his chambers, boom, it explodes with fireballs or lightning bolts and attacks the king from inside. <laughs> Ooh, nice. All he knows is some really cool magic crystal or something like that. Or not even just a, just a peace offering crystal that you know you give right. him money, and he but it'll just, still radiate magic. That's the only thing. It all depends if he's smart enough to check for it. Yeah, true, true. Which he may be, but still, it's just an, a way of doing something. I, I mean, I just like the idea of the thing, you know, using it as a trap, in somewhere in a dungeon, and you know, a party comes by and they'll see this thing and they'll detect magic from it from a distance, and they'll probably say. Ooh, it must be something really cool. Do, you, do I detect any traps? No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'll go get it. The only thing I can think oh. of the egg part is I keep thinking of that movie. Uh, what was that movie with the dragons that the kid found the egg and oh that, that dragon slayer? No, it was about dragon riders. It was that kid? Remember that kid? How uh, to tame your dragon or something like that? No, 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 no. Started with, I think it starts with an E. Aragon. Aragon. Okay, yeah. Star Wars with dragons, right? Yes. <laughs> Star Wars with dragons. <laughs> um, you remember how, I don't know if you've seen that movie. Well, that egg was kind of like 
a shiny gem egg and was only able to open up yeah every so often and you know the dragon would come out maybe that's one of the things too yeah. Maybe it's a dragon cool. egg and a, a, an extra dimensional dragon or something that you made up. Oh, okay. That's a good idea, too. Yeah. What's the experience points for this thing? Um, <laughs> actually, Damn. I would think of the 16th level magic users using this is going to be pretty high. Yeah. They don't list it in the book or they didn't list it in the comic book. They don't actually give much on it other than what I'm telling you and the example that they used in the comic book which I kind of left out because it wasn't relevant to what we were talking about. Right. Would this be kind of like an artifact then or close to an artifact maybe since they're so rare? I would think so at this level. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Okay. Yeah, just like the egg in Aragon was a, kind of like an artifact too because it was only a certain amount left and mm. that creepy old guy kept trying to get it and, you know. Ooh, creepy old guy. Yeah, <laughs> In this uh, creepy van with the curtains, you know. Hey, 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 hey. Oh, sorry. That was, that's your van, Nick. Sorry. Say hey. <laughs> I don't own a van. Matt, Matt what's your take on this uh, egg? Uh, this uh, lock stone? Yeah. I, I just see so much potential with this, really. Uh, just having the ability to store any spell, you could really – you could even have it be – the first condition is actually good for the player, so they think, okay, this gives us this benefit, it, and they, and that way they get closer to it or start doing other things with it. Then it turns on them. So just to lure them in with that false sense of, oh, this is actually something we should have as opposed to something we should like run from quickly. Yes, lure your players in with a false sense of security. Exactly. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Tell us what you do with it, staff at gmail.com. Or uh, even call us in. Maybe if you have a special item you want us to read in Dragon's Heart, we definitely take uh, listener-submitted items and we read them off. A couple people had done that for us. We want to encourage more. If you have an item you designed, send it in. We'll review it. Tell us what you think. And uh, we'll head into uh, actually part three. Uh, we're up to now episode three, I believe, the Lumpers. Right, Matt? Cool. We, yes, yeah, we part- are. Yeah, sweet. And uh, I, I heard that uh, I'm not going to ruin anything, but I heard there might be some exciting things happening in this part three. So we'll let you check that out. It's tough out there. Orcs, goblins, bad and mad mages. Things that each each us give you the time of day. People would shake your head while looking for a place to put a dagger. Yeah, it's tough. So they're tougher. They're the lumpers. Ready? Sure, sweetie. Go ahead. The case of spare parts, part three. Let me see. Moria, female dwarf, Dinkus' goddaughter. Brother ran away from home. Father went to look for him. Also went missing. No one knows of the boy. Found a locket. We think it's the kids. Got a giant attack at the warehouse. Okay. Mr. Brown was a good three paces ahead of us, heading towards the big wooden door. When he got there, he wheeled around and blocked it. Here now, you folks wait here. I could hear a tremendous battle inside. I pushed him out of the way. For what? To remove the bodies? We barged in and saw several cages, each with a different creature inside. A big cage had been busted out from the inside, and a frost giant was flailing against about four workers, a couple of which roped his arms. The other had spears and halberds. They looked like gnomes trying to rope a belay. 
I could see a couple of them splattered on the wall behind the critter. The other animals were adding to the noise. Immediately, Dinkus let out a cry and leapt onto the giant spear and started to crawl up. I grabbed Lucille and headed for the beast's legs. I thought I could hamstring him. Can you dispel? I shouted to Byron. But he was already casting from a safe distance. I swung for the giant's calves, but all I got was air. Big galoots fast, I thought. I readied my sword for another swing, but his foot caught me straight in the chest and set me flying against one of the cages where a bugbear did its best to swipe my back. Dodging, I wheeled around just in time to see Dinkus get to the giant's ear. The giant, now free of those pesky workers, tried to swat him like a fly. Dink swerved and grabbed his hair, heading for the top. The giant squatted down to try to shake the pesky dwarf off his head, so I used the chance to plant Lucille where the sun don't shine. Funny how the sensation of a bastard soared up the back door can get your attention. Now it was the frost giant's turn to swivel around. I crashed down in the corner to avoid the massive fist that came in my direction. This left me with another problem. Lucille was still in the last place I left her. This gave Dink enough time to get to the top of his head. The big guy now had a headache named Dinkus, as the dwarf proceeded to play the anvil chorus on his head with his warhammer. The giant was now hitting the top of his head with his palm, hoping to flatten Dink. About this time I saw Byron get within swinging distance of the giant, casting all the way. Damn fool elf. He's in full concentration and he can't see what he's doing. Good thing the spell went off then. Hit the giant right in the head and dazed him. He stumbled back and staggered to the back wall. Then he jerked violently. Dink lost his footing and fell. I ran over and grabbed him, falling on my back. Not good. The giant doubled over and fell. Guess who was in his path? I held out a dinkus and rolled over, just barely missing the big guy's knee. Byron was lucky, but not by much. The giant flailed his arm on the way down and hit him. Byron got flung up against the wall and collapsed. The behemoth hit the floor with a big thud. He exhaled one last time, and that was it for him. While Dinkus checked the giant, I ran over to Byron. He was sitting up against the wall with a bloody lip and a dazed look. Hey! I yelled, holding up two fingers. How many? He stared at my face. Two low jacks. I see that and raise you from the dead, he said before he hit the floor. Lawjack! It was Dink. I wadded up my cloak, put it under Byron's head, and went over to Dinkus. He was standing near the giant's head. Lad, look! He handed me a locket similar to the one Byron found at the boarding house. It looked a bit more worn. I pulled out the other one, and they matched. Together there was something in Dwarvish, but I couldn't decipher it. I handed them to Dinkus. What's it say? I muttered. Dink took the two lockets and examined them. Hmm. It's in the old tongue. I give my heart freely and forever. That's a rough translation. I took the two lockets and pouched them just before Sergeant Mac Florian and Mr. Brown showed up with a few constables. They came straight to us. Well, Mac, it looks like that trouble found me, I said, glancing at the giant's body. Yeah. Mr. Brown here said something about you three trying to strong-arm him or something, he said, glaring at Dinkus. Who, us? We just came by to follow up on the thorough investigation your men did this morning. I pulled my most innocent look. Uh-huh. He turned to Jubilation Brown. You want to file a charge? Mr. Brown fidgeted like an orc looking for the privy. Uh, under the circumstances, no. They were a big help. 
The suspicion I had when we came in there just woke up again. Mac looked hard at him. You do have a license to handle these uh, things, right? Uh, of course. All the paperwork is in order. If there was a hole in the wall that would happen, Mr. Brown would have dived in. In that case, I said smoothly, you won't mind showing them to the good sergeant, right? No, no, this way. He scurried off to the office. Mac gave me a weary look. Clean this mess up best you can. I'll get the town maintenance crew to haul a carcass over to the morgue. Sure, sure, I assured him. Mac took off to the office, shaking his head. The other workers had quieted the rest of the menagerie down by this time and had left to get back to work. I proceeded to extract Lucille from her resting place. Byron started to rouse and walked over to us, holding his head. Who threw the boulder at me, he uttered. That's when the giant's body started to glow. Dick and I shielded our eyes as it got brighter. Byron grabbed both of us by the shirt front. Quick, get away, he shouted. We ran and dived for cover under a cart. The body glowed almost incandescently, then exploded with a barely heard whoosh as the impact blew all the dusted hay in the room to the corners. Getting up and brushing myself off, I saw the giant's body was gone. In its place was the body of a small, stocky figure with red hair balding on the top and a fiery red beard. Dickens saw this and ran to it. He lifted the head and looked. Oblat, was all he said. Then it was my turn to notice something. Over where the giant's head had laid was a part of a necklace. A huge one, looking like something you use for a boat's anchor. It had a faint glow. I knew what it was. I motioned to Byron. Look familiar, I said as I pointed to it. A stasis necklace, he said with astonishment. Good gravy, I've never seen one that size. I've heard of him that big, but this is the first time I've seen one. Someone must have broken it or something. That's how he got loose. I grabbed an end. Here, help me with this. Byron and I carried it over where Dinkus was. Dink was cradling his friend's head in his arms. I put my hand on his shoulder. Dink, you going to be okay? I whispered. He shook his head. Not until we settle this. That orc in there won't... No, not him. He's just a flunky. we got to find out who's behind this kind of thing. Come on, let's get him over to the morgue. Dinkus nodded, got up, gently picked up the corpse, and headed to the door. Byron and I followed. I stopped. Byron, can you carry this in your hat? He nodded. He took his hat off. We lifted it and dropped it in. I heard a loud clunk from the inside of the hat. Remind me, we got to make more of those hats a-holding. Hardly. I barely had enough to make the ones we have. I shrugged my shoulders and walked out. Just a thought. We got bigger fish to fry, I said as I adjusted my helm. I've never seen a thing like that before, especially on a dwarf. Indeed, Byron agreed. Something else. What? Notice how he went down? Looked more like his heart gave out. Now that you mention it, yes. I just hope we're not getting in over our heads. Anyway, we need to break the news to Moria. I have a few more questions, too. Then I have a contact outside of town I need to check. I think this goes a bit deeper than I figured. Well, obviously. Speaking of which, I said, stopping. Can you tell Maury about her father and take her to the constabulary? She'll have to ID the body anyway. I'll meet you there. i got to stop by the office. What for? Well, unless you have a spell for it, Lucille needs a bath.
music for this episode was by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. Voices heard in this episode were Glenn Hallstrom and Julie Hoverson. Tune in next time for another episode of The Lumpers. I guess that's going to put a wrap on the show this week. Oh, well. (laughs) Short show this week. Yeah, short show this week. We got everything out. Everything was wonderful. Thank you, Matt, for sitting in and talking with us and chatting. Yeah, thanks, Matt. It's a good time. Thank you much. Definitely. I hope everybody was enjoying the lumpers. Uh, Some interesting things happened. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Uh, So join us uh, next week, and Jason will be back from his rally. He uh, stand up for sanity. He maybe he'll be insane. Who knows? <laughs> yes, vote for Cthulhu. <laughs> he'll be uh, vote for the lesser evil. Lesser, yeah, the oh, lesser. Why vote for the lesser evil? Yeah. <laughs> That's what I should say. He'll have to tell us all about the rally and how many people were there. And uh, he was telling me about Ozzy being there and someone else. And I was just like, wow. And so you know, we'll have to hear about it when he gets back. I won't ruin it for anybody. Uh, RFIPodcast.com dot com is the website. Go there and uh, chat with people on our website and the forums. Uh, RFI staff at gmail.com or DM Nick at uh, RFI podcast.com. I don't know. Nick, have you been checking that email? No, I have not, but I will. I well, promise. There could be an email <laughs> right in there for you right now. In fact, uh, you know what I'm going to do? Since I, if I forget to check it, I'm going to set up to forward it to my regular email. There you go. So that's perfect. Or you yep. can call in our new line, 570 865 4210, the RFI hotline. Yes, kobolds are standing by. To take your order now, chat away, give us a review, give us just, you can call a curse at us if you want to. No, I'm just kidding, don't do that. You know, say your piece. Let us know what you think. We want uh, all input, not just the good. Yeah, just like we read the bad input, you know, whatever. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that's going to say keep it original, keep it old school, and good night, everybody. Good night, everyone. Good night. Roll for initiative.